Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the Talent Intelligent Podcast. I am Nikki Patterson, Head of Growth at Solutions Driven. I'm joined by Claire Murray, Head of Marketing, and we are joined by um, the CEO of WorkRamp, Ted Blosser. Ted, welcome. Claire, welcome. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Great, great to have you on. Uh, WorkRamp are obviously doing amazing things in the LMS world at the moment. We are a, a very recent client and adopting the tool at the moment and very much enjoying it. So, you know, really good to get some insight from, from Ted today on, on various topics. Uh, really looking forward to this. Claire, do you want to get us started? Definitely. So, Ted, before we came on today, I did, did a little bit of um, research um, on your LinkedIn page. Um, and, and the first thing I'd like to ask you is, you know, can you tell me a little bit about your own personal background, your personal professional background and how that fed into WorkRamp starting up? Yeah, for sure. So a, a little background on myself. I won't go too long, but uh, I came out of college here in Northern California um, and went into sales, uh, sort of working at Cisco Systems and Sales. It was a great way to kind of understand how to get, get your basics around uh, selling to large enterprises. Um, then I made the switch. Uh, I saw the world trending in the direction of SaaS and software and made the switch over into a company called Box. Um, I was an early employee there, um, got to watch um, um, some really great people like Aaron Levy um, and see how they operated, how they built. Uh, they were kind of the, the hot kid on the block back in, in about 2010, 2011 was really when they were coming up um, and when I started there. And then uh, uh, transitioned um, into uh, starting WorkRamp. And that was, that's a little bit about my background. We could talk more about WorkRamp from there, but I did about five years at Box and then um, started here at WorkRamp. And I have a kind of eclectic background ranging from sales experience. And then when I was at Box, I did sales and also product management, um, uh, which we can talk about later today. But that was kind of the transition personal background into uh, what I'm doing uh, today. And I'm living here in, uh, in Redwood City here uh, with uh, a, a recent newborn um, and a family of five now. So if I sound tired, it's only because of that uh, late night feedings right now. Uh, yeah, I feel your I feel your pain there. Let's touch on your early career. You know, I think one thing we've really noticed over the past few years, we do, we we recruit for a lot of uh, sales roles globally, and we're noticing that even from the SDR level, so much uh, importance is on you know progression and learning and, and coaching and different things. Talk us through being an AE and how that really set you up uh, for, for the foundation of your entire career? Yeah. Um, so glad I went into um, sales to start. It's actually an accident. It's actually a funny story. So Nobody means to I be was, a salesperson, right? Yeah, I know. So, so I had an electrical engineering degree at Santa Clara University. So I, I went to the career fair at uh, that Cisco Systems was having, and there's two lines. They said, "Hey, here's the there's a technical route, and there's the AE route." And I and I asked the person, "They go, which line do you want to go into?" I said, "Hey, what what uh, what makes more money?" They go, "Go the AE route." <laughs> and so I literally that was the simple decision that set me off into this sales trajectory rather than this technical trajectory. Um, and starting in sales, there um, I got to go to actually a one year training program. 
this was back in the day when IBM did it, Cisco did it, Sun did it. So I did a one year full training program on all the basics of sales. And so from objection handling to negotiation to they made us cold call in kind of dark closets wow. where you would just have to cold call all day. Um, and I still remember all those memories, but the foundation has been so critical for everything else I've done in my career. And so um, I've, I've loved that, but I've also taken the mindset, um, if you wanna really become a founder, is having a strong sales background is amazing, but you do need to round that out. And, and that's why later in my career, I moved into other areas of the business too, but sales was an amazing foundation uh, to start with. And I was lucky to kind of stumble, stumble into that. Awesome. I mean, I think it, it definitely would build up that tenacity and, and the highs and lows and the, the different elements of that there. But then obviously moving into the product side, you get to see the whole other whole other side of the business and, and how it's run and how it works. And and yeah, I mean, for me, it, it for sure fills, fills all the gaps and, and probably put you in a good position to then go and, and be a leader. Totally, totally. And, and the thing is, when you when you want to become more well-rounded, it takes a ton of work. I remember when I was, um, I was the first person at Box to move from sales to product management. And actually, I remember seeing an email from the CEO that did not actually, he did not condone the move. He's like, why are we moving someone from sales <laughs> to product management? The VP at the time showed me the email and I had this chip on my shoulder that said, hey, look, I'm going to prove people wrong. But I had to put the put the work into it. Uh, Nikki, you're, you're a soccer player, right? It's like, when, when you have a chip on your shoulder, you, you, you just kind of work harder for it. And I actually spent time just getting very technical. I picked up programming on the side, uh, was writing my own projects, uh, writing code. And by the time I was kind of done through that process, I was more technical than every PM at the company. And so it's one of those yeah. things where, hey, if you do want to kind of build those foundational elements, whether you're in sales or marketing or moving from BDR to AE, you got to put in the work. Um, to make those moves. I think loads of people like to prove people wrong. There's plenty of coaches or managers, I'm sure, that the people say, hey, did you see how, how I did there? I wonder what that guy thinks of you now, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I made the, he let me make the move at the end of the day. He didn't block it, which was good. So I'm great, grateful for that. Brilliant. Back when I first started my career, I was in sales as well. And I was in tech sales, making the company quite a lot of money. And I did the whole, I want to move departments thing. And um, to be honest, I think that getting that move through was one of the biggest achievements of my career, which brings me on to my next question, which is what is one of the biggest achievements of your career? That, that's a great one. Um about that one for a second so we uh you know it's funny that that question is actually the exact so so we went through y combinator for for those of you who don't know y combinator like stripe went through dropbox went through it uh doordash great companies and so uh, a lot of people don't know this that's actually one of the questions on the applications what's your biggest accomplishment and i was thinking when i was answering that question on the application like everybody has better achievement, like probably everybody has one-ups everyone else on those achievements, right? Because these are world-class people applying to Y Combinator. And so I had to think long and hard about that question about what's the biggest accomplishment, what's unique. And actually I put on that, on that uh, application, um, uh, having my, I just had my first daughter at the time, having a family was my biggest uh, career accomplishment. And it was in the context of career, 
um, especially for having two working parents, having a family, being able to do a startup. There's something really unique. And it's actually, I look at kind of my, my business life now, there's always that next milestone, series C, series D, going public, that next big customer. It's never going to stop, right? You're always going to look for that next big thing as your biggest accomplishment. But for me personally, it's been the ability to now balance um, having a successful career, having a partner who has, she has a successful career as well and having kids that you can provide for as well. So I've been uh, really proud of myself to actually get to a point where we start paying our own salaries a couple of years ago <laughs> and doing well as a company. I would say that's the biggest accomplishment is being able to balance a successful business career, be a great example to your kids, and then also raise them well and, and provide for them. So, but that was my answer at the time was having, having, a, having a family. And I think it was unique because um, Jessica Livingston, I think uh, she's the co-founder of YC, interviewed me. And I think she pulled, pulled, out, the, pulled out that um, application is a little bit unique because I think she just had her first, first child uh, as well too around that time. Great question yes. though. I th what, what I found funny there is you mentioned, you know, Series D, IPO, you know, all these, it's going to get more and more and more. Is that what you're thinking in the family as well? Just more and more kids as well? Or is that, is that, is that you done now? Yeah. You know, we might stop, we might stop at three. I don't, in, in the Bay area here, uh, uh, it gets, it gets really hard to afford any schools after, uh, after three. So we'll probably stop at three. We have our hands full there, but going to run out of real estate real quick. I know not stopping, but I have some founder friends that are like four or five. I'm like, how do you, where do you even sleep? It's crazy. Where, where do you have time for anything? Definitely. So focusing more now on, on WorkRamp, you know, we are massively enjoying, um, you know, our entry point into, into, you know, being a customer of, of you guys. Um, where did the idea of WorkRamp come from? Yeah, so the origin day. So the, the company started with my co-founder, Arshman and I, we were both at Box, uh, good friends when we were there. Um, and he was my first pick of a CTO when I wanted to start WorkRamp. And um, the origin story was we really just started with, uh, we kind of knew we wanted to go tackle big space around learning because we had kind of two requirements starting the company. One was we need a gigantic category, which was learning. And we needed to build a great company where we loved working, where we want to skip into work every day and build the culture exactly how we want to build it. And when we started, we said, hey, how do we go tack this learning market? And we actually found a pain point around onboarding at the time. And it's, it was really great advice from most startup founders will give you is, hey, what's the kind of wedge in the door? And we started with just a simple onboarding product helped. And at that time in 20, late 2015, uh, economy was booming, kind of like it is um, kind of post the heart of the pandemic, but um, everyone was hiring, everyone was having trouble with onboarding. So we just built a simple onboarding solution. And then over time, our client just said, hey, can you add on like, hey, we want to do continuous training. We want to do sales training. We want to do customer success training. And I think the learning lesson there is, hey, start small, um, get, get your first set of customers with a really core use case and then listen to your customers over time and help them develop the product. And so um, by, by just building what the customers were asking, we kind of lifted our heads above water in 2017, 2018. And we're, we're looking around like, hey, we got a full scale learning management system here, which was really what we were disrupting now. And that's where we've evolved to. 
and we've continued to evolve as becoming the best LMS on the market right now too. And so that's really where we've evolved over time. But the, the key to that was start small, listen to customers, and then uh, continue to uh, iterate from there. As, as our usage is evidence, and um, it's obviously turned out to be a very great tool, which it sounds as though you are um, going to just keep making better and better and better. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that, that, is, that is our main goal is continue, just continue to innovate on the, on the product side uh, every, every month or every quarter that we, we continue to um, uh, progress. Excellent. Um, now you spoke there about disruption and do you think that you have disrupted the market and in the last year with the effects of the pandemic and obviously people onboarding remotely, how has that almost disrupted your company? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, in, in our market, for anybody who, who uh, knows about the learning market, it's basically the the disruption has actually been kind of easy because all the old providers were really bad they were they were very clunky anyone you interview said oh i hated my training system and so what we've done now is really create a beautiful ui beautiful ux something that people find engaging it integrates into all the greatest tools that you have uh within your tech stack as well too and so we felt like that the the disruption hasn't been uh, incredibly difficult to do uh, because the the previous providers uh, were not that great. And so um, really for us, it's all about, hey, now now as we disrupt, how do we continue to add on value added products and services on top of that for our clients? So for example, um, about two years ago, we rolled out our external facing um, uh, LMS. And that's been great for really training our customers' customers and our customers' partners. You have great clients like Reddit, Algolia, Branch using that product. And it just shows, hey, we've now kind of disrupted the traditional LMS, but how do we continue adding more and more services onto it that are that are game-changing for us? Awesome. And, 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 and I actually didn't answer your, your um, COVID question too with remote work, and that's a... I would say the the big thing there is that that has been accelerant for the business. I, I I believe solutions driven is pretty remote as well. We're now hybrid remote with with employees all over the world, and that was that's been a big accelerant. When you think about not being able to be in the same office with people, looking over their shoulder, training them, helping them learn, that has been huge for our market overall. Um, and so now we can confidently say, hey, I'm going to onboard someone who's in Norway, the same as someone in Australia, right? And you now have the ability to provide this consistent experience, asynchronous as well, using our using our platform. I think that's something that really is, is really interesting to us. You know, we have, I think, 14 or 15 new starters going to be joining us over the course of the next three or, three or four weeks. And, and probably on a similar trajectory, you know, you guys have went, well, I think you guys are even more, I think, went from about 30 employees pre-pandemic to pushing 100 now, I think, from yes. from, from what I've seen. Um, and, and and the onboarding of the early employees versus now will be, be a completely different experience for you guys, never mind your, your customers. And, and for us, I would have told you two years ago, somebody needs to be right there for me to show them everything. And, you know, I think that... COVID has really 
accelerated a lot of people's thinking and plans. And and I guess that's something I was going to touch on now. I mean, you guys got funding almost almost a, a year ago, and and you've been on a, a hiring spree and a customer collection spree ever ever since. I think so. What what does the next 12, 24 months look like for you guys? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think I think for us, the, um, you're right. We went from thirty to uh, almost over a hundred here uh, in the span of of twelve months. So it's just been um, uh, really interesting to watch that growth for us right now. Um, you're going to see all the typical things like investing in sales, marketing, product, um, and really for us is to create a really strong foundation to really go, I call it internally, go long uh, with the business. And so um, we, we wanna go to IPO and beyond. And for us, the next 12 to 18 months is really about creating a solid foundation on the product side, on our sales fundamentals and on the repeatability of everything we're doing. I think one, one big thing you see on the market is, is people just looking for a lot of the short-term wins, getting to the next funding round. And if you aren't careful, um, you can fall off the cliff after a series B or a series C because your growth will slow down. I can, I can tell you uh, so many of my founder friends, uh, for example, uh, fall off that cliff between 10 to 25 million error. Their growth really slows down. Yep. And so um, for us, it's really around how this next 12 to 18 months is build for the long term, continue growing, but really think about the long term of mine because because you see these recent IPOs of the GitLabs of the world, those companies have really built solid foundations to then actually prop their large uh, employee bases and actually um, large customers on top of that, that great foundation as well you, too. Off the back of that, you know, because you see a lot of companies in their first two or three years really shoot up quickly and, and, and they don't build that foundation. You know, in many ways, you guys are a scale up, not a, a startup. You know, I think of that yeah. as us, us too. We're 23 years in and being fairly flat in terms of number. But it was it was launching a, a category during the pandemic that has really transformed our, our business. And then you realize, you know, this product, this solution we have really fits. And when, when you start getting the testimonials from customers, and like you said earlier, you start to actually implement solutions based on the feedback you get from customers that's when things can can really blossom and and you know I I, I just think it's unbelievable the growth you guys have had in, in in such a short space of time. Yeah, and you're and you're totally right. The the companies that not that don't often get admired are those slow slow burn companies, right? If you look at I digest I, I podcasts all the time. Uh, I was just listening to Bill.com founder as an example, where it took him uh, 10, 12 years to really pick up traction. And now he's off to the races. UiPath, I think, is 16 years to his first million ARR, right, then really took off. And so the companies, I think, that really are category defining, that really um, can survive in the long term are the ones that build the right foundation uh, up front and then really have accelerant like Solutions Driven had um, where they really can take off uh, from there. Just like um, uh, when you had Manny on from Outreach, they actually built a really strong foundation yeah. And then the market timing just hit perfectly um, and they just really took off from there, but it took them a little while. I think they had a little product market fit issues originally, yeah. but built a nice strong foundation and really took off. Well, I think as well, it goes for that entrepreneurial spirit. You know, I think there was a lot of challenges and failures in, in a lot of the companies that really grow and grow and blossom. I mean, could you give us even what one of the biggest challenges has been for you 
over the last few Ooh. years? Oh man, that's a good one. <laughs> um, you know, I'll, I'll tell a really good story. So the we if have you have you heard the the startup trough of disillusionment? Have you heard of that? Is like the Paul Graham. So you've probably seen that chart. So it's um, you you get all this press. Yeah, you get the press from TechCrunch. You get your funding round, and then you just drop. It's called the startup trough of disillusionment. And you drop for about two years, and then you kind of come slowly back up, and that's when you rise out of the ashes. And we we totally had that. We like we went through that perfectly. <laughs> and I called the wandering the desert years, where there was a couple years really in the beginning where you didn't really know yourself. And you didn't have conviction in your beliefs and you were kind of doing what the startup world uh, taught you you should do. And I'll give you a perfect example of this. So, so um, I remember when uh, we said, hey, every startup is doing value, value mapping. We should get values for our company. So we, we thought that was a startup thing to do. We all went into uh, our team at the time, went into a conference room and we came out with 12 values. And I remember at the time I was like, I don't even agree with half of these. And I couldn't remember them. And it was like a one-time exercise and we never talked about the values again. I didn't have very strong conviction around them either. I just thought it was the right thing to do given we were a startup. Yep. And I had this other founder advisor tell me, uh, he's like, Ted, no, these values are your personal values. You and Arsh are the founders. The two of you yep. need to go in a room, come up with values that you truly believe in and live and breathe those. And we came out with four key values coming out of that. And we run the company off of those values. We talk about them every day. And yeah. that's a great example where we learned to just have really strong faith in, in what we were doing. And, and, and if we hadn't had done that, we wouldn't really, that's really been the foundation of our culture too. If we hadn't had made that personal decision, I don't think our culture would have been as, as good as it is today because we've built the back of the culture off of those uh, four values. Awesome. Well, what are the four values? Yeah, I was going, I could go into that next too. So I'll, I love these values. So always be improving. That is just the ability to make a ton of mistakes and improve. We kind of stole that from Ray Dalio. Um, uh, big hedge fund manager is, is really about constant improvement. Um, yep. Customer focus, uh, which is and a lot of companies say that, but we truly kind of live and breathe it. We put the customer uh, 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 first. One team, which is a collaborative value, Love which it. if you ever came into WarCramp, like we're almost over collaborative in our, um, in our kind of remote world. And then the last one, it's actually kind of unique, um, is operational excellence. And this really okay, says we celebrate all the small stuff. Like, for example, we have a great outbound team and it's a, outbound is like the biggest grind of any job in the world, right? And we, we give them so much praise where it's usually taken for granted that you can make 600 dials in a week and 700 emails in a week. That, like, we don't take that for granted. We celebrate that operational excellence, and that's why we keep it as a core value of ours. Uh, that's awesome values. Awesome. Very awesome. Um, and obviously, they they feed into your culture, which is good because that is the, the next thing that we're going to talk about. We are obviously a recruitment company. So the next bit that we are going to ask you questions about is recruitment and culture. Um, For and sure. I'm just gonna, yeah, I'm just going to circle back to talking about, you. we spoke about skipping into work every day earlier on. Um, and you've just hired a new executive team. You've been hiring virtually across all your positions. So 
what does your induction process for success look like? Got it. And induction, you mean onboarding process, uh, onboarding process into the company? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Um, just want, just want to clarify too. So sure. the skipping to work was something I, I stole. I think Jeff Bezos said it in an article and he's like, I, I skip into work every day. Just loved coming in to run Amazon every day. And, and that's the value. That's what we try to promote here. It's like, Hey, you shouldn't have like the, I mean, yes, everyone has the Sunday scaries if you've heard of that, but by the time you get started, you'll be like, Hey, I'm excited to work here. I'm excited to get on the computer. I'm excited to call customers. I'm excited to build products. And so we push that. We, we're always kind of pushing the envelope. If we feel like, hey, this isn't fun or exciting for someone, how do we make sure um, we actually make this a great place for them to want to wake up every morning and, and, and start their work day? And then a big part of that then is actually making sure that that onboarding process is, is, is one of the best onboarding process they can have, especially in this remote world. Um, and I would call it, there's two parts. There's the operational part. And then there's kind of the cultural part, the operational part. We use our own product. Obviously we do for everybody. We do a three week onboarding process, which um, uh, basically has gates at the end of every week. And so if you finish week one, it's, it's different depending on your role, but you can imagine mm -hmm. sales your week one as a demo week two is doing a discovery call. Week three is a full disco discovery call. Um, and so it has very good milestones and, we now have onboarding classes and a great enablement manager called Stephanie, her name's Stephanie Middaw, who's running processes like that. Um, and so that's the operational portion. I think it's critical to make sure you have all the foundational elements in there. So they, so your employees and team members can just learn. And we recommend in those first few weeks, it's just learning. Don't jump into your pipeline. You're going to have plenty of time to work on your pipeline or your role or your, or your, or the code you're writing. So don't rush into it, just learn as much as possible. So that's kind of one big aspect is the operational portion. And then the second big uh, aspect is really cultural. And so within those onboarding paths, we recommend highly to meet as many people in the company as you can. And so in the onboarding path, we typically recommend having three to four one-on-ones every week with somebody that's not your immediate team. And so, for example, we just had our new head of marketing come in, Jack Foster, and her onboarding path was to meet various peoples and people in engineering, in support, in sales. And so it is from uh, an IC all the way to executives. And so um, that was actually something we borrowed from uh, Jeffrey Weiner at LinkedIn. I think in his first, I think he said his first quarter, he met with like 300 people at LinkedIn. It was something nuts. Wow. And so it was a big thing. And that's part of our one team value is that if you can build those bonds, it's really going to accelerate the collaboration that we have within the company. So that's our kind of onboarding process in the nutshell, operational, and then also a cultural, which is really focused around our, our one team value. Yeah. yeah. How, how do you keep that, that culture going and how do you arrange all those meetings and, and keep everyone so close when you're currently expanding so rapidly? Yeah, you know, this is one where I, I sought out a lot of advice and did a lot of reading. I think everyone's pretty unique, and, and you probably see a theme of this. I'm always just borrowing from, from uh, uh, other companies or people that I'm talking to. Hopefully, you guys, you, you both are too. I'm going to be um, stealing some of this after this call, Ted, so yeah. don't worry. <laughs> and so one of the, 
one of the big things I was, I was reading um, uh, Reed Hastings' most recent book, um, and one of the big things he talks about is a lot of context setting um, and then letting people have autonomy within that context. And so um, in, in the book, uh, there's this kind of, he shows a tree trunk and its branches where he, uh, um, Reed Hastings is kind of the tree trunk setting context, but someone at the leaf, uh, let's say a producer, a producer of Squid Games can decide, hey, I'm going to go figure out how to go produce Squid Game. But that person has really good context of what the company is driving towards. And that, and in recently, it's, hey, international growth, Squid Games, it all worked out really well, right? And for us to drive the culture, we like to set a lot of context through frameworks and the meetings that drive those frameworks. So we have a couple frameworks within the company. Some are very common, like our OKR framework, which we practice very heavily. Um, we also have a framework called the Cadence, which I borrowed from David Sachs, which shows, hey, what do we do every week within a quarter? So you can see like, hey, what's every department kind of working on in terms of uh, major milestones? Um, and then we have our values framework, which we just talked about. And one last framework, it's kind of, it's kind of a mission statement framework. I borrowed this one from John Chambers at Cisco is called the vision strategy execution framework. And this just gives people North Star of what we're doing 10 years out, but then also zooms into what we're doing one year out, which is building the best LMS. But also our company knows, hey, 10 years out, we want to empower every professional to reach their full potential through learning. Uh, but to step back and answer your question, I see culture and building great culture. is just giving great context, giving great frameworks, and then letting great people loose within that context. And so that's, that's kind of our mindset. And then the meetings uh, along the way to make that happen. I mean, amazing, amazing answer. Again, I see so much synergy in, in your approach and, and I guess our CEO's uh, approach. You know, we've got our OKRs. We're, we're obviously adopting the LMS. We're very much continuously improving what we're doing as individuals. And, and I think hiring and retaining talented individuals is, is what makes people successful. You know, I think you're only as good as the, the people you have and how, you know, ambitious and, and how much those people want to improve. Um, our CEO, Gavin, at the start of the year just said, I'm going to say two words and this is what I want the whole year to be about. And it was complacency and momentum. You know, we mm. built all this momentum, you know, so if we focus on the momentum of the journey and never get complacent, then, you know, we'll continuously, continuously improve. And it was just such a simple way, but there's so many things that are, are then fed fed off of that, you know. I guess I've got I, I could ask you a, a million questions still, but you know probably I, I probably get two left. Um, so let me start with, you know, you guys clearly have an amazing overall value proposition, and your candidate value proposition is going to be different role to to role. Um, do you think it's harder to hire top talent or retain top talent? Ooh. That's a great question. So I'll say for us right now, I wrote this blog. So, I, so every weekend I'll write a blog uh, internally um, and we'll have guest posters on there as well internally from different departments. Um, and one of the things I said is, hey, you're right now in the world, you're either a company with a great resignation, you're either a company attracting talent or a company repelling talent. <laughs> it's kind of binary. Um, and, and 
we feel like right now we're squarely in the camp of the, the companies attracting talent. And so I don't take that for granted, like attracting and keeping it is super hard to do. And, and keeping it is kind of going back to uh, Claire's original question is all about the culture and come and skipping into work and making sure that is all set. I would say of the two right now, <clears throat> the more acute pain point, <clears throat> more acute pain point for probably everybody is the attracting. And that's why, that's why uh, solutions driven is doing so well. Um, I, I was actually just talking to a founder of a, um, or an executive of a really hot uh, Seattle based company. And he was like, we have all the money in the world right now. And we just can't hire. It's not about the money. Everyone's raising a ton of money. We just can't bring on the right talent and, um, or enough of it. And it's like, we have like a million recs open. We just literally can't fill them. And it's kind of the, the story you hear from most companies. And so um, really, when you think about that, when money is not the issue and open roles aren't the issue, then what is going to be your differentiator? If everyone has enough money, everyone has recs, what's going to be your differentiator? And yeah. then that's where I think you parlay the kind of talent discussion from earlier is like, that is your differentiator. When we close candidates, really like nine times out of 10, people are like, hey, the reason I chose you is because of the great people I met in the interview process that I really vibe with. And I'm choosing you yeah. for the people that I met. So we actually, when we heard that, we actually just started infusing more people into the interview process because we actually found out that was our competitive differentiator. Was not the speed, was not the pay, was not the equity. It was, hey, the people you meet in the process that was selling the candidate. You're, giving away, you're giving away some golden nuggets there, Ted. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, I think it is true, right? You've been continuously improving the product, the solution that you guys have. You're basically saying you're refining your interview process and recruitment process as you went along as well. There are plenty of companies out there right now struggling to hire top talent. You know, Claire just posted something, I think, yesterday about, you know, that almost the entire population of Scotland was 5 million, but 4 million people in, in the U.S., moved yeah. roles in August alone in one month. Wow. And it seems like there's movement going on everywhere, but at the same time, nobody can get their hands on exactly what they need in, in abundance. Please feel free to send me the name and number of whoever is struggling in Seattle. That's no issue. Um, <laughs> I guess one, selling. <laughs> always, always be closing, right? But, you know, like I said, the, 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 the attraction piece is hard. You guys have, have clearly nailed that. And the onboarding piece, that is exactly what you do. I would fully expect you to, to nail that. I guess keeping that talent, obviously you're reinvesting and just the passion that you have. My last question would be something that is really the biggest learning point for me in my career right now is, is coaching. And, yep. you know, you've mentioned in a couple of articles I've read about the culture of, of coaching. Could you tell us a little bit about the secrets you guys have there? Yeah, that's that's a really good one. The this the the post I actually just recently did was um, I was I was uh, this is in the pandemic days and uh, or the heart of the pandemic when you're working right next to your your spouse or your partner and my I was uh, giving coaching to a rep and she worked at a kind of she had previously worked at a stodgy kind of older firm and I was giving giving one of the sales reps coaching after a sales call and she came in after I was like hey why are you being so harsh to your to your employee, why are you why are you telling him all this feedback? Like, isn't he like going to get really upset about that and quit? And I was like, no, 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 it's totally fine. It's it's part of our culture. 
and we do it uh, in any role. Like I get coaching from um, uh, whoever wants to give it to me. For example, uh, my co-founder gives me coaching after a lot of internal presentations. And, and we, we really have this coaching culture where every, anyone can give feedback to each other. But we do have kind of ground rules around that feedback, which we also kind of stole from Netflix, which is it has to be constructive, has to be kind. So we have some groundwork, uh, sorry, some ground rules laid. Uh, but beyond that, we, we give it often. And so one of the big things we, we do here um, is, is part of our always be improving value is to say, hey, we're always coaching each other uh, and it helps us all get better. If you look at, I, we had a sales rep join our, um, our team recently and from his previous company, he's like, man, my previous company was like a JV sales team compared to this team. It's like a varsity, uh, uh, junior varsity compared to varsity. And a lot of that's because we've really built up um, teams like our sales team through amazing coaching um, on a day-to-day -day basis too. And so we try to fuse that across the board and it's not just sales, it's also engineering. We do a ton in, in client outcomes, which is our CS team. We do it in support all the way down to, hey, if there's like a ticket and the tone kind of been better, uh, we will give that feedback directly to the support team saying, hey, Maybe emphasize like, hey, we're sorry about that issue, but in a more empathetic way. And yep. I just gave that last week when I saw a, a big escalation ticket is, hey, we could have shown a little bit more empathy on that. And that team is going to get better on that next ticket that they work on. So, yes, it's a big part of our culture. But again, ties back to one of those four core values, which is the always be improving uh, value uh, internally. See, I think our founder, uh, Walter, you know, he's seventy. 71 at the moment and probably one of the sharpest in our business you know no other international recruitment company has a walter right so we are so yeah. so lucky and i think a lot of the time we come up with things like like this you know or our method methodology for for candidates and and, and gavin our ceo will might say you know hey we better not share that with everyone you know people are going to copy that and walter will say yeah but nobody will do it like us you know, people will try it and they'll try and adopt the culture of coaching for a month or two. You really need to live and breathe it and, and believe in it for it really to, to pay off. And it sounds like you guys adopting that early and, and now growing things and, and laying the foundation, like you say, has set you up for so much success. Yeah, what I love about the and in, in the, the success process you had behind there is just an example of we talked about earlier is, is especially in the remote world, people need the frameworks and the context to be able to work within. And so just that you explicitly called out um, gives people the ability to say, okay, now I know how to operate within this framework. And now you've, I think you've created that category. Um, it's a, what's the, it's RPI, is that a? Recruitment process intelligence. Yes, RPI, yes. And so that's a great example of a, of a framework you're setting up. Um, so that's why I love so much about, about the RPI uh, kind of context, um, which is great. Awesome. Well, listen, awesome is exactly what this has been today, Ted, you and, and the content, absolute fire. So uh, I really look forward to, to, to Claire publishing this over the next couple of weeks. I'm sure our listeners will, will be all over it. And um, we, we continue success for the next four or five years and look forward to working with you. Awesome. Claire, Nikki, thanks so much. Thank you. Awesome. Um, I'm, I'm off to read some of these hundred uh, books and uh, methodologies that you have mentioned today so um that's that's my evening sorted thank you for nice. coming on Ted we're, we're all just soaking everything up like like sponges so yeah this is really fun